ask, Father, that you please help me, bless me, help me to have a clear mind, help me, Father, to say the things that you would have me to say. Lord, I've got notes written down on a piece of paper and, and scriptures that we can look at tonight. But, Father, I just need your help to be able to uh, teach this, to be able to get these thoughts through. And, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to come out differently because of it. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Alright, we're there in Hosea, chapter number 6. And if you remember, as we've been going through the book of Hosea, spent the first three chapters dealing with the uh, family of Hosea. Hosea and his wife Gomer and his three children. If you remember, they were the wife of whoredoms and the children of whoredoms. And Hosea was asked of God to marry a wife who was a, 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 a whore, is what the Bible says. She was a prostitute, and we, we learned all about that. And then when we got into chapter uh, 4, we transitioned into the preaching of Hosea, into the, the going through, and really the preaching of Hosea is God just explaining His judgment that He's going to bring upon the people. And chapter 4 kind of worked as the introduction for the, the, the rest of the, of, the, of the book there, chapter 5, uh, dealt with that even more closely. And if you remember where we left off in chapter 5, we just real quickly want to look at Hosea chapter 5 and look at verse number 6. I just want you to see where we left off last week. Hosea chapter 5 and verse 6, the Bible says, They shall go with their flocks and with their herds to seek the Lord. So they shall go to seek the Lord. But do you remember that God is going to bring His punishment? Remember last week we were talking about the punishment that God was going to bring. And God said He was going to come like a moth. And He was going to be uh, subtle. And it was going to be secret. And it was going to be slow. But He was going to begin to destroy and to decay uh, the people there. And when they would refuse to listen to that, then God said He would come as a lion. And it would be more abrupt. It would be more fierce. And He would rip them apart. And when they still would not listen there, the Bible says, that it will skip down to verse 15 real quick. I, uh, Hosea 5.15. Remember he said, I will go and return to my place. And that's where we left off last week. God has pretty much got, brought the people to a place where he says, I'm going to go. I'm going to return to my place. I'm not going to have anything to do with you anymore. That's where we go to verse 6. Look at verse 6. They shall go with their flocks and with their herds to seek the Lord. So they're going to go to seek the Lord. But they, this is God's response. But they shall not find him. He hath withdrawn himself from them. And that is really the worst type of punishment that God can give to his people when he withdraws himself from them. Because when God withdraws himself, he he also withdraws his protection. He also withdraws his blessing. And that's where we're at in the book of Hosea. Look at the, uh, Hosea 5.15 again. Remember this word? This is where we're at. Verse 15. He says, I will go and return to my place. Now you say, is God going to leave his people forever? Now understand this. We know that the Bible says, God said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Alright? So we understand that we're not talking about salvation here. And, and we also understand that we're talking about Old Testament right now. So, new, you know, it's the New Testament believers that have been indwelled with the Holy Spirit. you got to understand that. But even for us today in our application as New Testament believers, you got to understand this. That there is a difference between being sealed with the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. Do you understand that? One of these days I'll, I'll preach an entire sermon about the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon your life. And of course we deal with those type of topical sermons on Sunday morning. So maybe one of these Sunday morning soon we'll deal with that subject there. But you've got to understand that you can be sealed with the Spirit, but not be 
filled with the Spirit. You can have the presence of the Spirit, but not have the power of the Spirit. And when God was withdrawing here, He wasn't withdrawing in the sense that these people were going to lose their salvation if they were saved, but He was withdrawing His presence, His power, His blessings, His protection. Look at verse 15, Hosea 5.15. I will go and return to my place. You say, God, are you leaving and never coming back? Notice what He says, till. It's a beautiful, small word. He says, till. He says, I'm not leaving forever. He says, I'm, I'm leaving until. He said, there's a chance for me to come back. Till, till when, God? Till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face in their afflictions, they will seek me early. And that's where we are in the book of Hosea. We're living, when we enter chapter 6, we're living in that till. You understand that? God has said, I'm withdrawing my blessing, I'm withdrawing my protection, and the people are living in that till time where God is waiting until they acknowledge their offenses. That's the mindset you've got to understand as we come in to Hosea chapter number 6. Because when we come into Hosea chapter 6, we're in that till, and you've got to understand, there is a, an invitation from the prophet Hosea. Now we understand that the entire book of Hosea and the entire Bible is read by God. We get that. But Hosea the prophet, as a prophet, as a position of a leader, is speaking to the people here. Look at verse 1. He says, come. He's inviting them. He says, come and let us return unto the Lord. You say, why is he inviting them to return unto the Lord? Because they're living in that till. They're in that time where God has withdrawn Himself and God is waiting. You say, waiting for what? For them to acknowledge their offenses, for to them to seek His face. They're in that till. And Hosea is now trying to encourage them to come back. He says, come and return unto the Lord, for He hath torn and He will heal us. He hath smitten and He will bind us. After two days will He revive us. In the third day He will raise us up and we shall live in His sight. Now we're going to come back and deal with this invitation of... Hosea, but before we deal with the invitation of Hosea, you got to understand a couple of things. I really, I've got two points tonight that I want to give you in regards to this chapter. Two points, and then a, 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 a couple concluding points in conclusion. Point number one, I want you to see in this chapter. I want you to see how God desired us. How God desired us or desired His people. Look down to verse number 6 just real quickly. Hosea chapter number 6 and verse number 6. If you don't mind writing in your Bible, you're in the habit of writing in your Bible, I would underline this phrase. Notice what God says, Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6. He says, for, this is God speaking by the way, He says, for I desire. God says, I've got a couple desires. There are some things that I wanted out of this relationship. Now, now this desire, you begin to see it starting at verse number 4. Look at verse 4. And in verse 4, you can hear God's frustration as a parent that is frustrated with his children. Notice verse 4, he says, Oh, Ephraim. Now remember, Ephraim was the main tribe of that northern kingdom. Just like Judah was the, 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 the main tribe of that southern kingdom. And when God is speaking to Ephraim, He's really speaking to the entire nation of Israel there, that northern kingdom. He says, O Ephraim. Now notice what God says. O Ephraim. And you can almost hear His frustration. He says, What shall I do unto thee? He says, O Judah, the southern kingdom. What shall I do unto thee? You can, you, you can just hear the frustration. You're, he's saying, what, what am I going to do with you? You, know, you ever said that to your children? For those of you that have kids? 
You know, I, I, I keep explaining to you what I want. I keep explaining to you. I, I've taught you. I've showed you. And you keep messing up. You know, what am I going to do? That's a frustration that God got. He says, what shall I do unto thee? Ephraim, oh Judah, what shall I do unto thee? You can see, you can hear the frustration. Not only that, you can see God's dissatisfaction. Look at verse 4 again. He says, O Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee? O Judah, what shall I do unto thee? Notice, you say, well, why is God so frustrated? Here's why He's frustrated. Look what He says. For your goodness. Right? This is the goodness of the people. He says, for your goodness is as a morning cloud and as the early dew. He says, here's the problem with your goodness. Look what He says. He says, it goeth away. He says, my problem I have with you, Ephraim, the problem I have with you, Judah, is that from time to time, my prophet's ministry or my word speaking to your heart will speak to your heart and you'll get right with God. You'll have goodness and you'll have the right attitude. You'll do what I'm asking. But the problem, he said, it's like the morning cloud. He said, it's like the evening dew. He said, it goeth away. He said, the problem I have with you is that when you get right with me, you don't stay right with me. He says it's a short amount of time. Remember as we've been studying through the book of Judges on Sunday night? Remember we were in Judges chapter number 2 and we talked, I said 2 and I put up a 3. Did anybody catch it? Uh, Judges chapter number 2 and uh, remember we are talking about that sin cycle that you and I often get on where we'll get wrong with God and God will chastise us and He'll distress us and then we'll cry out to God and He'll deliver us and then we'll get right with God but unfortunately, oftentimes that does not last very long. God says it's very frustrating. He says in the same way you go out in the morning and you and you see, you know, you, you go out in the morning and, and in your yard there and you see the, the, the water and that dew there that comes from that morning and as soon as the sun comes up it fades away. He says that's how you getting right with God is. It just fades away. And if you really think about it, how many of us have made decisions that we're going to read our Bibles and we'll get up and we're saying, we're going to read our Bible every day. And you get up that first day and you read your Bible, you know, three chapters or four chapters or six chapters. Then you get up the next day and you read your Bible. You get up that next day and eventually it just kind of fades away. How many of us have decided to be, to decide, I'm going to get right with God in this thing about prayer. And we'll get up and we'll pray in the morning or you'll pray. You'll set aside a time to pray. And then, you know, one day or two days or three days go by and then you forgot about it. How many of us have decided that we're going to be faithful to soul winning? And then we just forget about it? God says, that's frustrating. He said, the problem I have with your goodness is that it goeth away. Look at verse 4. Look at the last part of verse 4. It goeth away. God says, I'm consistent. God says, I always had goodness, but your goodness doesn't last very long. And then you see, of course, God's judgment because of it, which we've been talking about. Look at verse 5. He says, therefore. He says, because of the fact that I'm frustrated with you, because of the fact that your goodness doesn't last very long, He says, therefore, He says, because of that, have I hewed them by the prophets. That word hewed means to strike forcibly. God literally is saying, He said, I slapped you upside the head. He said, I hewed them by the prophets. Say, Pastor Man, sometimes I come to church around here and I feel like you're just slapping me upside your head. That's God working through this prophet. <laughs> That's what God said I, He did. Notice, therefore, have I hewed them by the prophets. Notice, I have slain. Does slain sound like a positive word? He says, I have slain them by the what? Words of my mouth. Every time I come to church here and you start preaching the Bible, I feel like you're attacking me. Hey, that's 
what God said He did with His Word. Every time I come to church here, I feel like I'm getting slapped upside the head. That's what God said He'd do with His Word. And by the way, if you feel like that, because you're frustrating God, and it's probably because your goodness goeth away. You see that He says, therefore. you got to understand, see, God had... Remember, we saw verse 6. We verse 6 again. For I desire. God said, I, I had a desire. God said, I created you for a reason. In the book of Revelation, the Bible, the Bible tells us that God created us for His pleasure. In the book of Isaiah, God tells us that He created us for His glory. God said, when I created you, I had a desire, I had a plan, I had something that I wanted to do with you. Look at verse 6. He says, for I desired, notice what He desired. I desired mercy and not sacrifice. And the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Do you see that? Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it tonight, but we've already dealt with it. Often through this book, God brings up this idea of mercy and the knowledge of God. And notice what He compares it to. He says, I'd rather have mercy and not sacrifice. Now, a sacrifice, that was something they were supposed to do, if you read the book of Leviticus. But that was a religious act. These people were doing their part religiously. Do you understand that? They were giving their sacrifices. They were giving their burnt offerings. But God said, I'd rather have your heart, God said, I'd rather have your inward than your outward actions. Do you understand what I'm saying? He says, I'd rather, He says, I desired mercy and not sacrifice. He said, I'd rather you have a tender heart. He said, I'd rather you have a merciful heart. He said, I'd rather have your inside being merciful than you doing some sort of religious act. And you know, today, today in our Christianity, so often you and I think, well, as long as I go to church on Sunday morning, check. As long as I go to church on Sunday night, check. As long as I go to church on Wednesday night, check. As long as I force myself to read three chapters of the Bible, check. And we think we're going to please God with these outer actions that we do. God says, I'd rather have your heart be merciful. God said, I'd rather have your heart be right with me. You know, in that, in that mercy, by the way, let me, let me tell you something. God continues to bring up this idea of mercy throughout the book of Hosea. Because you know, the sad part is that most Christians do not show a lot of mercy towards each other. You know, I can get up and preach about dress standards, and I will get up and preach about dress standards, and we can teach you how you ought to dress, and you may dress exactly like you're supposed to dress, an independent fundamental Baptist, you've got the right length on the skirt, and the right tightness on your sweater, or whatever, the, not the tightness on your throat, you understand what I'm saying. You know, you got, you, you've got your shoes polished, you got your tie on, whatever, we, we can teach you all those outer things, and we ought to teach you the outer things, but understand this. You know what the hardest part of Christianity is? Is it, is it putting on the right clothing? Is it getting a haircut? Is getting a haircut easy or, or hard? I think it's pretty easy. You know what the hardest part of Christianity is? Turning the other cheek. You know what the other, hardest part of Christianity is? Loving your enemy. You know what the hardest part of Christianity is? When someone does you wrong, praying for them, forgiving. You know what the hardest part of Christianity? It's mercy. God says, you put on the right clothing, you got the right Bible, you went to the Bible study, you went to church on Sunday, but the problem is that you don't have any mercy in your life. The problem is you go to church on Sunday morning and you're fighting with your family all week long. That's the problem. The problem is that you won't forgive one another. The problem is you, won't, you don't love each other. The problem is, you know, so and so, you know, I mean, as a pastor and a pastor's wife, we hear so much. So and so did me wrong. I'm not, I'm not going to let that go. You're in a very, very, very dangerous place when you have that attitude. Jesus Christ said that if we refuse to forgive one another, our Father will not forgive us. 
I'm always amazed by the people that have this attitude. Well, I'm not going to let this go. I think to myself, man, you better be careful. So, uh, you know, you better start reaping in mercy. You know why? Or sowing in mercy. You know why? Because one day you're going to have to reap some mercy. No, I want to be merciful to people because one day I'm going to need that mercy. And you, have, you better be very careful. You know, well, I, I know that I'm right. You, you, you know you're right all day long. Ten years from now, twenty years from now, when you're wrong, you're going to wish somebody showed you mercy. See, that, see, it's a heart man. God says, I desired mercy and not sacrifice. Not only, he says, not only do I want mercy, the Lord, he says, and the knowledge of God. He said, I would rather have a people that knows God, that knows the Bible, that knows what they believe, that study to show themselves, to prove them to God. I'd rather have a people that have an answer for the hope that is asked of them. He said, I'd rather you have knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. That's what God says. He says, see, I want the inside. Now listen to me. God wants the outside too. But He wants the inside. And it's easy for us to get things right on the outside and not give God the inside. God says, I desire to have a relationship with you. We said, number one, we saw how God desired us. But number two, I want you to see how we dealt with God. We saw, number one, how God desired us. Number two, I want you to see how we dealt with God. Look at verse 7. But, verse 6, for I desire. Verse 7, but, says here's the problem. They, like men. I like how God says that because He says they all do it. There is none that doeth good. There is none that seeketh after God. They all like sheep have gone astray. But they, like men, have transgressed the covenant. The biblical definition of the word sin is the transgression of the law. The covenant is the law as well. He said, but they like men have transgressed the covenant. Therefore, have they dealt, notice, therefore, have they dealt, okay, so we saw the desire of God, now let's see how we dealt with God. Therefore, have they dealt again, dealt, notice what it says, treacherously against one another. Is that what it says? They say, he says, therefore, they have dealt treacherously against me. If you don't mind writing in your Bible, maybe next to that verse you got to write, All sin is against God. I'm not, I'm not going to forgive my neighbor for how they treated me. You're really just sinning against God. I, I'm never going to forgive my wife for how she treated me. I'm never going to forgive my husband for what he I'm never going to forgive my children. They crossed the line. I'm never going to forgive that church member. I, I'm going to get mad and I'm going to have bitterness and I'm going to have anger. And really that's a sin against God because you got to understand this. All sin is a sin against God. Primarily. You say, well, that's, that's an issue between me and them. No, that's an issue between you and God. Because if you didn't have an issue with God, you would have mercy in your heart. Because if you didn't have an issue with God, you'd have the knowledge of God. God says, their problem is that they have dealt treacherously against, God says, me. He said, how did we deal with God? Verse, verse 8. Gilead is a city of them that work iniquity. This is God explains to us. God is explaining to you and I how we dealt with Him. He says, Gilead is a city of them that work iniquity and is polluted with blood. You say, well, what's the big deal there? Here's what you got to understand, okay? Keep your finger there in Hosea chapter 6. Go with me to the book of Jeremiah. Now, we're going to come back to the book of Jeremiah later in the sermon. So if I were you, I'd put a bulletin or a, 
uh, uh, bookmark or your ribbon there in the book of Jeremiah. So you're in Hosea, you want to go towards the left in your Old Testament, you're going to go past the book of Daniel, past the book of Ezekiel, past the small book of Lamentations, and then you'll be in the book of Jeremiah. Go to Jeremiah chapter number 46. Jeremiah chapter number 46. You've got to understand this, okay? Now keep, keep your finger in Hosea because we're going to flip back and forth a little bit, but I want you to see this, alright? Find uh, Jeremiah chapter number 46, and when you found Jeremiah 46, flip back to Hosea chapter number uh, 6. Jeremiah 46, and then flip back to Hosea chapter number 6. Look at verse number 8 again, alright? Gilead, make note of that, that's a city in Israel. He says, Gilead, notice what he says about Gilead, is a city of them that work iniquity. So he says, Gilead is a city with a whole lot of iniquity. Not only that, but look at this. And is polluted with blood. You see the word blood there? That lets us know that there's violence there. That lets us know that there's people hurting there. Blood, okay, a city, when a city's polluted with blood, alright, is blood something that's on the inside of us or outside of us? Obviously it's on the inside, right? When blood is coming out, is that a good thing? <laughs> if, if most of your blood is outside of your body, would you say that's a healthy situation? You wouldn't, okay? Blood is not a good thing. And God said this city is polluted. It's filled. With blood. He says it's a place of iniquity. You say, well, why, why does, what's the big deal about, about Gilly being polluted with blood? I mean, that's like Los Angeles. That's like New York City. I mean, that's like even Sacramento. I mean, that, that's like any, any city. Here's what you're going to understand. Okay, are you there in Jeremiah 46? It's interesting that God brings up Gilly because Gilly means something to these Israelites. You say, what does it mean? Are you there in Jeremiah chapter 46? Look at verse 11. Jeremiah 46, look at verse 11. Go up into Gilead. You see that? Go up into Gilead and take balm. I want you to make note of that word balm, right? The word balm means an ointment, alright? Gilead in the Bible is often associated with this balm. Oftentimes in the Bible, when you read about Gilead, you read about this balm, this ointment being associated with it. You say, what is this balm about? Look at verse 11. Go up into Gilead and take balm, O virgin, the daughter of Egypt, in vain shalt thou use many medicines. You see that word medicines there? For thou shalt not be cured. You see that word cured there? Alright, Gilead was this location in, in Israel where they had an abundance of this certain type of balm, this ointment, that was used as a medicine. It was used to heal people. It was used to help people. So when you were sick and you were needed, you needed a, a certain type of balm, it would be normal for you to go to Gilly because Gilly was associated with the balm, with the ointment, with the medicine, with, with, with health or cureness. If, if you said to someone, I'm going to Gilly, they assume that you were going there because you were sick and you were going there to get healed. You understand that? Look at verse 11. Go up into Gilead and take balm. Notice he's telling them, go to Gilly and get that ointment, that balm, O virgin, the daughter of Egypt. In vain shalt thou use many medicines, for thou shalt not be cured. Now God is telling them, look, because he's judging them, he's saying, you can go up to Gilead and get the balm, but I'm not going to let you be cured. But you've got to understand this. The reason he's saying that is because there's an association there with the fact that Gilead is where you go for healing. You understand what I'm saying? Go to Jeremiah chapter number 8. Let me give you another example. Jeremiah chapter number 8. Jeremiah chapter number 8. And, and, and we could look at a few more passages about this, but I just want to give you two examples in Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter number 8. Look at verse 22, just so you can see this. Jeremiah chapter number 8. Look at verse 22. Jeremiah 8, 22. Jeremiah chapter number 8, verse 22. The Bible says, where were they? 
Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Uh, that's not the verse I wanted. Good night. What did I say? Jeremiah chapter 8. Oh, I'm reading 12. Good night. 22. Sorry about that. Verse 22. Look what it says. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Do you see the association between Gilead? We've seen, we've seen two passages about Gilead in Jeremiah, and these words came up with it. Medicine, cure, physician. Do you see the association there? It's a place of health. Look at verse 22. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is not the health, you see the word health there, of the daughters of my people recovered? God says, God, God says isn't there, aren't there physicians in Gilead? Isn't there ointment? Isn't there balm? Why don't you go up there and get healed? Do you see the association? All right. Gilead was a place where you went for healing. Gilead was a place where you went for ointment. Gilead was a place where you, when you were sick, when you were not doing well, you'd go there for healing. You'd go there for a cure. Go back to Hosea. God says, I have a problem with you because I desired you, and but you dealt with me in a certain way. You say, well, how did you deal with me? Here's what God says. God says, I gave you a place. I gave you a location where when you were sick, you could go for healing. When you were sick, you could find a physician. When you were sick, you could find the cure there. But you know what you did with that location that I gave you for healing? Look what you did with it. Look at verse 8. Gilead is, it used to be a city of healing. Now it's a city of them that work iniquity. It used to be a place where you went to get well. Now it's polluted with blood. God says, you know what the problem I have with you people? I said, I gave you a place to go get healed and you made it a place where people actually get hurt. He says, I, I gave you a place where you can go get healed and you actually made it a place where people, they, they come out not better than when they came in. They come out worse than when they came in. Keep your finger there in Hosea. Go to the book of Luke, chapter number 4. So what's the spiritual application? The spiritual application is this. You know that God has given us a place where we can go get healed? You know that God has given us a place, a spiritual hospital? So what are you talking about? Are you there in Luke, chapter number 4, New Testament? Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book in the New Testament. Luke, chapter number 4. Look at verse number 18. Luke, chapter number 4. And look at verse number 18. The Bible says, this is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. And this is a prophecy out of the book of Isaiah, by the way. Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, if you're interested. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now, look, that's Jesus speaking. But does the Spirit of the Lord only come upon Jesus? Remember on Sunday night? The Bible says the Spirit of the Lord came upon Othniel. Othniel was a no one. Othniel, every time his name is mentioned, we've got to refer to the fact that he's related to Caleb, because he's a no one. So this isn't just Jesus. This is the Bible says in Acts 1.8 uh, that the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you. Look at verse 18. Look 4.18. The Spirit of the Lord has come upon me. Why did the Spirit of the Lord come upon you? Because He has anointed me to do what? To preach... The gospel, the good news, the good tidings, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You say, who am I going to preach the gospel to? To the poor. Now listen, does it say there that He anointed me to go feed the poor? Does it say there He anointed me to go have a, a, a jacket fundraising for the poor? Is that what it says? Does it say there He anointed me to go start some sort of a charity, some sort of a can drive? Now look, I'm all for giving stuff to the poor. We give stuff to the poor, poor people around here all the time. But you know that today in America, you know what most Christian ministries are? Let's get together and let's go do this for the poor people. And let's go do that for the poor people. And let's go bring them cans. And let's go bring them jackets. And let's go bring them this. And let's go bring them that. But you know the one thing they never do is go and preach the gospel. 
He said, the Spirit of the Lord has come upon me because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel. Notice what it says. To the poor. He hath sent me to... What's that word? Heal. Do you see that? To heal the brokenhearted. To preach deliverance to captives and recovering of sight to the blind and set at liberty them that are bruised. See, you got to understand this. God gave us a place in the Old Testament. He gave them Gilead. In the New Testament, He gave you the local New Testament church. You know that there ought to be a place? You know that there ought to be a location in every city in America? There ought to be a church where people could go there for spiritual healing? There ought to be a place where people should go there? So you say they're broken hearted, they're in sin, they're in bondage. You said they ought to go there. And listen, it's not just that we should give them something to eat. It's not just that we should give them a sandwich or give them a jacket. It's that we should preach the gospel to them. It's that we should give them the word of God. Hey, the Bible is what will heal the broken heart. Is that God said, I gave you a place to heal. And the place that was meant to heal is now hurting. The place that was meant to give you the Word of God now gives you everything but the Word of God. The place, you know, people, sometimes people, uh, uh, they'll, they'll badmouth our church. They'll say, well, the problem with this church is that you guys sing those old hymns for like ten minutes. And then you get a, you get some, some guy up there and he preaches that old King James Bible for an hour. Because you know why they complain about that? Because the average church today, they sing these rock and roll. It's like a rock concert for an hour. Then the guy gets up there for ten minutes. And gives ten minutes to the Bible. Listen to me. You can get a rock concert off MTV. Do you understand that? You can get a rock concert off an iPod. Churches today have not become the spiritual health location where you can go and hear God's Word. But today, they are doing the opposite of what people need. But you know, that's actually worse because they're giving people this false confidence. Well, I went to church. I must be right with God. They have no idea what the Bible actually says. God says you have no mercy. God says you have no knowledge. See, the primary place of a church is to teach you the Bible. Why? Because the Bible is going to heal you. Let me tell you something. Pastor Jimenez can't help you. Do you understand that? I can't heal you, but God can heal you. The Word of God can heal you. That's why we give the Word of God the preeminence. God says, the problem I have is that you have made the place of healing a place where people actually are getting hurt. Let me... I wish I had the... Ability to really explain this. Churches that are not preaching the Bible are doing more hurt to the cause of Christ than anything else. You say, what makes you think that? Go out soul winning with me. Go out soul winning with me when I knock on the door of someone who doesn't go to church, who doesn't believe the Bible, who doesn't, who, and, and see how easy it is to show them the Bible and get them saved. But go with me time after time after time after time of knocking and knocking and knocking doors of people who go to churches that never teach them the Bible. Try to get those people saved. That have this false religion security that is not based on the Bible. They're doing more hurt. They're doing more damage. Say, Pastor, you think those people... I'd rather they go out of business. I'd rather they not exist. I'd rather go preach the gospel to a bunch of people that don't know than have to sit there and try to explain to them, well, no, you got to understand. Well, my pastor says that it's repent of your sins. Well, no, the Bible actually says that repenting of your sins is a work. And the Bible says, well, my, I was taught in my religion that it's a work salvation. I'd rather they not be taught anything and just give them the Bible than have to sit there and try to have to, you know, get through to them because their minds have been polluted. 
you understand what I'm saying? God said, I gave you a location for healing, but you've turned it into a place that is actually hurting. Look at verse 9. And, he says, the first problem is, I gave you a place, you turned it for healing to her. Verse 9, he says, and, make note of these words, as troops of robbers. You see that? Now the word as there, okay, he's telling us, this is telling us, he said, this is what they're like. The word as, he says, like troops of robbers wait for a man, so, and so in the same way that troops of robbers wait for a man, so the company of priests, okay, you say, what are the priests? That's spiritual leadership. Those are the, the people that are supposed to be teaching the Bible. The people that are supposed to be leading spiritually. He says, so the company of priests murder in the way by consent. He says, here's my problem that I have. He says, my problem that I have is that I gave you a location where you can go get healed. And instead, it's a place where you can go get hurt. And he says, the problem that I have is that I gave you spiritual leadership that's supposed to be helping to heal you. And instead, like robbers... They are performing murder in the way. Now make note of these words. By consent. Okay, now let's talk about this. Number one, he says, these priests are not like the priests that I want them to be. They are actually, here's how he defines them. He says, they are like robbers. You say, what are you talking about? Keep your finger there, Hosea. Go to the book of 2 Timothy. We've looked at these verses before, but let's look at them again. 2 Timothy in your New Testament. We've got to move quickly. I know the air conditioner is not working and all that. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. You're going to earn extra crowns in heaven because you are suffering for Jesus right now. You are uh, sitting through a service with no air conditioner. You go up to Paul, okay, and, and when you get to heaven, when he's done telling you about how he got stoned and beaten and thrown in prison, you tell him that you suffered through a Wednesday night Bible study with no air conditioner. See how that goes, all right? 2 Timothy chapter number 4. Okay, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Look at verse 3. 2 Timothy 4, 3. He says, he says, my, my priest. He says, they're not priests. They're robbers. Now, what does a robber do? They steal. What do they steal? Valuables. Money. Say, what are you talking about? Are you there? Are you there in verse 4? And they shall... I'm, I'm sorry, verse 3. 2 Timothy 4, 3. For the time will come. And let me tell you something. The, come, the time is come. For the time will come when they, that's believers, that's the church, supposedly, when they will not endure sound doctrine. What's sound doctrine? Doctrine means teaching. He said there's going to come a time when people, when a pastor is going to get up and try to teach sound doctrine, teach the Bible, and people are not going to endure it. They're not going to want to hear it. Look what it says. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust. So they heap to themselves teachers. What kind of teachers? Having itching ears. They're going to heap to themselves teachers. They're going to scratch them where they itch. They're going to make them feel good. You ever had an itch you couldn't get to? You know, like, you know what I'm talking about? You ask somebody to scratch it for you. And they're like, oh, that feels so good. God said, that's what the average church person in America is going to be like. Do you want to go to church and learn the Bible? you want to get some sound doctrine? No, no, I got this itch. I just want to scratch it. I want to heap to myself teachers having itching ears. Look at verse 4. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth. He says, they're not going to want to hear the truth, but they shall be turned unto fables. Do you see that? 
Now, keep your finger in 2 Timothy, okay? Go to Titus. Well, Titus is right next to 2 Timothy, so I guess you don't have to keep your finger there, because I think you already have a finger in Jeremiah. But just go to Titus chapter 1, look at verse 11. Titus chapter 1, look at verse 11. Titus 1, 11, look at what the Bible says. Titus 1, 11. Look at what the Bible says. Whose mouths must be stopped. So there are people who are speaking. They are communicating. They are preaching. But God wants their mouths to be stopped. Why? Whose mouths must be stopped. Who subvert whole houses. What are they doing? Look what it says. Teaching things which they ought not. You see that? Why are they teaching things they ought not? Look what it says. For filthy lucre's sake. Do you see that? I don't I, I like to explain this every once in a while because... I get so many comments and questions about this, and sometimes people email us about this type of stuff, and I I, I want people to understand this. Listen, I'm not as dumb as I look. (laughs) I understand, trust me, I understand that if we shorten the preaching around you, normally we preach what, for an hour? If I brought that down to 20, 25 minutes, okay, and I stopped saying a bunch of controversial things and just started preaching about, I don't know, the love of God all the time. And maybe brought in some music that appeals to your flesh. Listen, I know that we could have a lot more people here than we do. You say, do pastors really do that? Well, why would people want more people? Well, let, let me explain to you, Einstein. The more people that come, the more people that put money in the offering. Are you trying to say, Pastor, that there are some pastors who know the Bible says that something is controversial, but they don't say it because they don't want to offend? You got it. Are you trying to say that there are some church... Well, I just thought those people loved me. No, those people actually are doing the opposite of loving you. They are hurting you. Because they are not telling you the truth. And they are just interested in getting a crowd for filthy lucre's sake. And God says, I am so fed up with it. He said, my priests, they're a bunch of robbers. They say a bunch of things that aren't true. Go back to did you go back to Second Timothy. Go back to Second Timothy, chapter number four. Look at verse two. Remember on Sunday night? Remember on Sunday night we were in Jeremiah. Remember we saw in Jeremiah there those six things. Uh, and and uh, I'm bringing it up because we're going to look at it in Jeremiah again. Okay, but I want you to see. It. Remember those six things in Jeremiah that God told Jeremiah how to preach. Remember there were six things. How many of them were negative? Four. How many of them were positive? Two. Okay. Let's do some quick math. Okay. Remember fractions in school? Two-thirds, okay, were negative. One-third was positive. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you don't, just, 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 just go like this and Google it when you get home, right? Two-thirds negative, one-third positive, according to Jeremiah, right? Look at, are you there in 2 Timothy chapter 4? Look at verse 2. Preach the word. Okay, so here's the, oh, okay, how, how do you want me to preach the word, God? Be instant in season, out of season. Okay, so he says, don't change based on what's popular. Now notice what he says. He says, I want you to preach the word. He said, I want you to be instant, in season, out of season, whether it's popular, whether it's not. Now notice what he says, alright? He says, here's how I want you to preach. He gives you three things. He says, reprove. That's a negative. That's telling somebody they're wrong. Rebuke. That's a negative. That's when you yell at your kids. You're rebuking them. And exhort. That's a positive. That's talking about building someone up with all long suffering and doctrine. Okay, so here's the thing. God says, in Jeremiah, He says, I've want I, I got six things I want you to do when you're preaching. He says, four are negative, two are positive, two-thirds negative, one-third positive. In the New Testament, He says, i got three things I want you to do. He says, I want you to reprove, rebuke, two negative, exhort. 
ought to be negative, one ought to be positive. Say, well, I, I like the positive sermon. That's, then you're the one who needs a negative sermon. That's what the Bible says. But you know, today there are preachers who say, well, I'm not going to say Joel Osteen. I heard Joel Osteen with my own ears say, he said, I will not say these words from behind my pulpit. He said, I'll never say the word hell. He said, I'll never say the word sin. He said, I'll never say the word judgment behind my pulpit. You are a robber, my friend. You are interested in people's money. That's why you don't use the word sin. Because if you study the preaching of Jesus, Jesus used the word hell a lot. Jesus talked about judgment a lot. Jesus talked about sin a lot. You say, are you, is it just Joe Lawson? It's a whole lot of preachers. You got to understand this. God says, I gave you a place for healing and it's become a place of hurting. He said, I gave you priests, but they are robbers. They are stealing from you. They are lying to you. They are not, they are keeping, they are watering down the message to not offend you so that they can steal from you. Are you, just look at Titus again. Titus 1.11. I just want you to see it again before we go back to Hosea. Titus 1.11. Titus 1.11. I lost my place there, so let me go back to it. Titus Titus 1.11 Whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not. Why? For filthy lucre, that's talking about money, for filthy lucre's sake. That's why they're doing it. No, no, they just love me. That's why they only talk about love. No, they just want your money. That's why they're trying to not offend you. Do you think if we tone down the preaching around here, uh, we can get a lot more watered down Christians to give? I'm sure we could. And if we were if we were doing it for filthy lucre's sake, then we would. But guess what? We're doing it because we love God. That's why. Because we love the Word of God. Because we're going to preach the Word instant, in season, out of season. We're going to reprove, we're going to rebuke, and yes, from time to time, we'll exhort. From time to time, we'll encourage. Are you go go back to Hosea? We got we got to hurry this up. Hosea. We got to be done in the next couple minutes. Hosea chapter six. Look at verse nine. Hosea six nine. We're almost done. Hosea six nine. I want you to see this, okay? And as troops of robbers wait for a man, so the company of priests murder. Now notice this: murder in the way by consent. Do you see that word consent there? The word consent means when you consent to something. You are giving permission. When you consent to something, you are giving approval. When you consent to something, you are being in compliance. You're saying, that's okay, go ahead. God said that these priests, notice what it says, look verse 9. And as troops of robbers wait for the man, so the company of priests, he says they're robbers, but he says, here's what they're doing, they murder in the way by consent. Here's what they're saying. The priest... Give their consent to say, yeah, go ahead. So somebody comes to the priest and says, hey, listen, I was thinking of uh, killing so-and-so. What do you think? And the priest says, uh, yeah, sure, go ahead. <laughs> now you and I would look at that and say, that's funny. That's crazy. Now let me tell you something. Today it may not be murder by consent. But you know that priests today, preachers today, prophets today, all across this country, are allowing people to sin by consent. So what are you talking about? I'm talking about the person who is divorced, who knows the Bible says that once you are divorced, you are to stay unmarried until your spouse passes away, and you are just to, because Jesus said it himself, to get remarried is to commit adultery. But you know that today, there are preachers all across this country who will marry two people who are divorced? What are they doing? Committing adultery by consent? Well, I can't believe someone would do murder by consent, but they do adultery by consent. 
You know that there are in, that there are Christians today who say, "Well, you can commit, you know, don't commit abortion, but it, but if it's for reasons of uh, uh, of rape or incest, then go ahead. That's murder by consent." Well, if you're divorced and you really love so and so, then go ahead and get married. That's adultery by consent. Well, you're living together and you shouldn't be living together because you're not married, and the Bible calls that fornication. But you know, uh, go ahead and just uh, stay stay fornicating for another year, and that, that should be fine. That's fornication by consent. Do you understand what I'm saying? God says I'm fed up with it. Go, go to Hebrews. Go to Hebrews real quickly. I know I already offended you. That's see around here we take the offering first. That's what we do. Hebrews chapter number. Hebrews chapter number. Uh, let's see where I want you. Hebrews chapter number. Good night. Let's see if I can find it. I didn't write it in my notes. Hebrews. Go to Hebrews chapter number ten. I'm pretty sure it's in Hebrews chapter number ten. Look at verse number 26. Hebrews chapter 10. Look, look at verse 26. Hebrews 10, 26. Today there are Christians. Well, I know the Bible says that I shouldn't drink alcohol, but I don't think there's anything wrong with just a, li- a little social drinking. Okay. Be a drunkard by consent. Well, I, I know the Bible says that... Yeah, and by the way, the Bible says this. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Well, I, I know the Bible says I'm supposed to be soul winning, but I'm just not going to go this week. Okay, go ahead and sin against God by consent. But the average preacher says, it's okay, it's okay, live in sin. I won't even mention it. I won't even talk about it. Just put money in the offering plate. We'll be fine. That's the average church. That's why the average church is a place that is not healing and is hurting. Because the best thing that someone could do for you is give you the truth. The best thing that someone could do for you, the Bible says the wounds of a friend are faithful. But the lies... The lies of someone that's your enemy, those are deceitful, those will hurt you. Are you there in Hebrews chapter 10? Look at verse 26. Hebrews 10, 26. Look what the Bible says. Hebrews 10, 26. For if we sin, look what it says, willfully. Do you see that? For if we sin willfully. Do you understand? Now, all sin is sin. We understand that. But do you understand that there's a difference between I did not set out to do that, I did not set out to go, I just, I, I, I messed up, I sinned against God, I understand that, but I wasn't planning on doing that, I, it just, I did it, and by the way, I'm not minimizing that, all sin is sin, we ought to confess our sins, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, we understand that, but let me tell you something, there is a difference between somebody who just is going about today and sins, but did not plan to, and someone who says, well, I know what the Bible says, and I'm just going to do it anyway. Look what it says. Hebrews 10.25. I'm sorry, 10.26. Oh, that one works too. 10.26. For if we sin willfully, if we sin knowing that what we're doing is wrong, after that we have received, what were they lacking? Knowledge. After you receive the knowledge, see, by the way, that's why you're supposed to come to church, so you can get knowledge of the Bible, so you know what you're supposed to and not supposed to do. Look what it says. For if we sin woefully after that, we have received the knowledge of the truth, there, look what it says, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. God says, God says, look, it's one thing if you just mess up. Go ahead, give a sacrifice. Keep in mind, he's talking to the Hebrews, alright, so he's talking in their terminology. He says, it's one thing if you just mess up. Go ahead, give us a, get your sin sacrifice, ask God to forgive you. But he says, if you are sinning by consent, if you're sinning woefully, you know it's wrong, and you're just going to do it anyway, he says, don't come to me with your sacrifices. Don't, don't come. He's like, the problem is I don't have your heart. That's the problem. You understand why God is so frustrated with his people? Go back to Hosea. Go back to Hosea. We're almost done. We're almost done. I just got to give you this last point, and we'll, we'll be finished up. Okay? Hosea. 
Hosea chapter number 6. God says, I gave you a place of healing. You made it a place of hurt. He said, I gave you priests. They are murderers by consent. They are allowing you to sin by consent. They are allowing you to sin because they are robbing from you. They are stealing from you. They refuse to preach what the Bible says. They refuse to give you the knowledge of God. Most Christians don't even know fornication is wrong. Most Christians don't even know that getting married after you've been divorced is wrong. And by the way, let me say this. If, you, if, you, if you've done those sins, look, ask God to forgive you and move on. So people come up to me and say, Pastor Jimenez, I, I had an abortion. What do I do? Ask God to forgive you and don't do it again. Pastor Jimenez, I, I, I fornicated. What do I do? Get married. Or move out. Ask God to forgive you. And move, I didn't say get married three years from now. I'm not giving you consent to murder or adultery or whatever. Then stop and ask God to forgive you and move on. That's what you're supposed to do. I'm not coming back here. I know. You're going to the church that's going to give you the love message. That's going to tell you, oh, it's okay. You go ahead. Just put, you put your money in the offering, right? Okay, good, good, good. Yeah. What do you want to do? Murder? Sure, go ahead. That's the average church. Look at verse... Look at verse 11, but before we go there, just go back to verse 1. We're, we're done, okay? Here's, here's the conclusion. Here's the conclusion. You say, well, why, why did God do all this? God does all this because He wants you to return. Look at verse 1. Come, and let us return unto the Lord. God wants you to return to Him. Why? Now notice this. For He hath torn. Now God's the one that tore. He hath torn, and He will heal us. He hath smitten, and He will bind us up. Now you got to understand this. Did you keep your place in Jeremiah? Remember you were supposed to say in Jeremiah? Go back to Jeremiah 18. we got to move quickly. Hurry up. Jeremiah 18. See what happens as we skip the prayer time, I just end up preaching more. So Jeremiah 18. But, but look at this. I want you to see this, okay? God has torn. The Bible says, He has torn and He will heal us. He has smitten and He will bind us up. Now you got to understand this. God does not tear. God does not smite. God does not judge you simply to judge you. God does that to get you to return. And then when you return, He will heal you. you got to understand this. Are you there in Jeremiah 18? Here's a perfect example of it. Jeremiah 18, look at verse 1. And the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise, and go down to the potter's house. And there I will cause thee to hear my words. Okay, so what are you supposed to do at the potter's house? Hear God's words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. That's you and I. And the vessel, that's you and I, that he made of clay was marred in his hand. So he had a vessel, but it was ruined. It was marred in, his hand, in the hand of the potter. So he made it again. Okay, now understand this. In, that you say, well, that's real positive. He made it again. In order for him to make it again, he had to destroy it. Do you understand that? He took the vessel and he said, ah, this one's ruined. Let me crush it. Let me crumble it. Let me pull it down. Let me pull it up. Let me destroy it so that I can then heal it. Look what he says, verse 4. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in his hand and the hand of the potter. So he made it again, another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter? This is what God is saying to his people. Saith the Lord, Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. God says, the same way that the potter can take the clay and destroy it and rebuild it, God says, that's how you are in my hand. Now notice, do you remember this from Sunday night? Look at verse 7. And what instant, he says, in the moment, I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom. Notice what he says. Does this sound familiar? To pluck up 
to pull down, to destroy. God says, at any moment I can pluck you up, at any moment I can pull you down, at any moment I can destroy you, and He said, I'll do it if I need to. But notice, verse 8, if that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, they acknowledge their offenses, I will repent of the evil that I, that I thought to do unto them, and at what instant, he says, in the same amount of time that I can destroy you, look what I can do for you, and at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it. Do you see that? He says, I can pull you down, I can destroy you, I can pluck you up. He says, I can plant you, I can build you. He says, I can destroy you, he says, I can heal you. Go back to Hosea, Hosea chapter 6, look at verse 1. He says, come and let us return to the Lord, for He hath torn and He will heal us. He has smitten and He will bind us up. God wants you to return, God wants you to be revived. Look at verse 2. And after two days will He revive us. In the third day, He will raise us up, and we shall live in His sight. That reminds me of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 11. We're done right here, verse 11. Also, O Judah, He has set an harvest for thee. Okay, now a harvest is a good thing. A harvest, man, man. I had a couple more. Can I just show you these real quick? Let me just show you this. Look at verse 3. Look, look at verse 3. Then shall we know. Okay, I don't want to forget about this. Then shall we know. If we follow on. So if you, if you get right with God, He says, here's what you're going to know. To know the Lord. Look what it says. His going forth is prepared as the morning. And He shall come unto us as the rain. As the latter and former rain unto, unto the earth. Now you say, what is He talking about? Here's what you understand, okay? These people, when they heard the word rain, they knew what He was talking about. Because they needed rain. Okay, their economy was based on farming. And, and Israel is not really, you know, located in a real tropical type of place. You understand what I'm saying? So they needed, they didn't have a lot of sources of fresh water. They needed rain. And whenever God would withhold the rain, it would be a judgment upon them. Now notice, God says to them, He says, The going forth is prepared as the morning. And He shall come unto us as the rain. Now, that reference to the morning is this. There's a morning every 24 hours. Here's what He's saying. God's saying, I'm going to judge you. But He says, till. He says, till you acknowledge. He says, it's not forever. He says, it can go away. Go to Psalms, just real quickly. Just, just uh, humor me. Psalm 30. I just want to show you this and we'll be done. Psalm 30. Psalm 30. If you move quickly, we'll be done. Psalm 30. Psalm 30, look at verse 5. I, I forgot to show you this. I really want to show you this. Psalm 30. He says, he says, I will come to you like the morning. Psalm 30. Look at verse 5. Psalm 30. We're talking about the judgment of God, right? Psalm 30. Look at verse 5. For his anger, for his anger endureth but a moment. You see that? Psalm 30, verse 5. For his anger endureth but a moment, and his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a, no, for a night, but joy cometh. In the morning. You say, Pastor Jimenez, I'm in that till right now. I'm in the judgment of God right now. Hey, the morning's coming. It's not forever. Now notice what he says. Go back to Hosea 6.3. Look at the last part of Hosea 3.6. And he shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter. The word latter means what used to be. And the former rain. He says, I want it to be. He says, I want you to return to me. He says, I want to revive you. He says, I want us to have a relationship like the latter and the former rain. He says, I want our relationship to be like it used to be. Remember the book of Revelation when it talked about you left your first love? And then God said, repent therefore, remember from whence thou art fallen, and repent. Here's what God says, I want it to be like it used to be. Like the former, like the latter rain, when you were on fire, when you were right, when you were serving me. Now go back to verse 11, we're done. Also, O Judah, 
He hath set an harvest for thee. A harvest is a blessing. A harvest is a good thing. He says, I've set a harvest for thee. Look what he says. When I return the captivity of my people. Here's what God said. Remember the book of Hosea was written 25, 20 to 25 years before the children of Israel went to the Assyrian captivity. Alright. Later on, Judah, the southern kingdom, will go into Babylonian captivity. These people did go into captivity. But you know what? They came back. They came back. Nehemiah and Ezra and all those guys, they came back. And look what God said, verse 11. He says, also, O Judah, he hath set an harvest for thee. God says, I have a harvest waiting for you when I return the captivity. God says, I'm sending you into judgment. He says, weeping will last for a night. He says, but joy cometh in the morning. He says, when you return, I'll have a blessing for you. He said, what does God want from me? He wants you to return. He wants to revive you. That's what he wants. He wants it to be like it used to be. That's what God desires. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for our church. Thank you for the book of Hosea. Lord, there's so much to teach and so much more we could talk about in the book of Hosea. We just can't cover it in one night. But Father, I pray you'd bless the time and help us to learn from these books and to realize that you wrote them and you gave them to us because you want us to learn. Lord, we don't have to learn the hard way. We don't have to go off into sin and have God reprove and rebuke us. We can just learn from the examples that were given to us in the Bible. And we can say, oh, that's what they did. It didn't work out. That's how God works. God wants you to return. Let's just return right now. Father, I pray you'd help us to be a people that'd be right with God. Father, I pray you'd help this church to be a place, a spiritual hospital where people can come and hear the word preached and they would heal their souls and their spirits. Lord, I pray you'd help me to always preach the Bible, to not be moved by whatever's popular and what's not, whatever in and whatever's not, to just preach the Bible. Lord, help our ministry to never be driven by money and just, well, let's not offend anyone so that we can keep people giving. Lord, help us to be a lighthouse of truth. Father, we love you in your precious name, I pray. Amen.